0: I have a great joke for you, you'll love it. Knock, knock. Banana. Knock, knock. Banana. Knock, knock. Orange. Orange, you're glad this is the last week we have to wear orange. If you have have been with us this month, we have been doing a series called Risk. And it's been talking about this whole idea that we want to be people that are daring enough to believe God, and because we believe him, we're going to take risk. We're going to take risk. But before I move on, I'd like the uh, Hickman family to stand up. They, sh- they do deserve special mention. Look at what they're wearing. Give them a hand. Stand up. Austin. Fantastic. I will, I will make sure I give them a special prize. I will get you some circus peanuts later on. Excellent. We are, our, our, the title of our church is Kent City Baptist Church. We are a Baptist church, and we are also a conservative evangelical church. By conservative, that means we believe the scriptures are the very words of God. We believe that scriptures are how we live, how we are to live by faith, and they, give, they instruct us. They cause us to be conformed into his image. We are also evangelical. That means we believe the gospel that Jesus died and rose again, and accepting that gospel is how a person becomes a son or daughter of Christ. But we are not an old school conservative evangelical church. Let me explain that. Well, before you say amen, Tom, you you might want to hear what I have to say, because I don't know if you'll agree, but I think you will. All right. A man gets saved, he comes in one of our churches like this, he believes the gospel. That would be step one. When you believe the gospel, you become a fam- member of the family. The Holy Spirit resides in you, and you are saved. In a conservative, evangelical, old school, you're saved. You're saved. Amen. And then, and then step two. Step two in the cur- uh, old school church is you change by what you wear. So for women, dresses. For guys, suits, ties. You're changed by what you do, no more, no more smoking, no more drinking, no more dancing, no more movies at the theater. You can bring them to your home, just don't tell us, we won't tell that it's the same movie at the theater in the home, but we won't tell you, and no more dance, bolster, rock and roll, no more, and he's an elder, we've got to stop that. This is... Stage two. Stage three is when you start to get more serious. You become a soul winner. A soul winner is a person that will go knock on doors, that is tremendous at the Romans roll, getting people saved, and it's somebody who really invests themselves in the church. They're there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They're there every time the doors open. They are invested. Stage three. Stage four is very difficult to attain. Stage four is when you become the pastor. And you get a chair up on the stage. Sometimes it looks like a throne. The pastor gets to nod when he likes the music. Amen, sister. The pastor is the one that dictates all polity, he is the paragon of virtue. He has arrived. Now, if you're a female, I know this is tough, but you can become a missionary, and you too can come behind the pulpit. This is old school conservative evangelicalism. Many of you have been raised in this. Step one, get saved. Step two, change your outward appearance. Step three, get invested in the church. Step four, leave your job and really take on a real job ministry i'll just give you a real quick illustration of this about eight years ago a guy came into my office and he said pastor i can't i'm i get drunk a lot and i i I can't change and i said what's the problem he said i like i just like beer too much and i looked at him and i said i like beer too and he said what and i said "Uh, what do you got a problem with that well you're a pastor You're not supposed to be drinking. Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a different category for pastors and lay people? Is that what you're saying? Well, no. Yeah, you are! Isn't a person a Christian, even if they aren't a pastor? They shouldn't be getting drunk. He didn't like that too much, you know. Because when you have a two-tier system, this guy is required to live like a Christian, but down here, not necessarily. That's kind of the benefits of this tier system. The drawbacks are is people sometimes really think this is what real Christianity's goal is. There's a problem with that, two problems. Number one, that's not biblical at all. That's why I kind of I make fun of it sometimes. And I, I said in a first service, I don't mean to make fun of it, but in a way I really do kind of because it's killed my family. It's killed... Some of the people in my family. But the second thing, the second reason why it's, it's just plain wrong is that's not why we're here on earth. It's a, this is a scale of how I judge. The person who's on stage three is clearly better than the person on stage two. and That's just not the way Christ wants us to live. Look at uh, the book of 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16. Book of 2 Samuel, if you remember a guy by the name of David, this is precursor, 2 Samuel 16 is right before David is anointed king of Israel. King Saul was the first king of Israel. He's the first anointed king of Israel. However, he was rebellious. He really did not follow closely to the Lord. So the Lord said, you know what, I'm rejecting Saul and Samuel who's a priest. I want you to go find out the next king. They went to the house of Jesse. And Jesse had all these sons. And they were really impressive. Brought the first son in. And look at verse... Um, I've got to find my verse here. I've got bad eyes. It's 2 Samuel 16, verse 6. What's that? First Samuel, that's the whole problem. Thank you. First, how do you guys know where I'm going? What is this? See, see, the layman is just as brilliant as the guy up on stage. That was all set up. Thanks for joining in with me. First Samuel 16. First Samuel 16. And starting in verse 6. Okay, they came to the house of Jesse and uh, they presented the oldest son, Samuel the prophet. Looked on Eliab and he thought, surely, surely, the Lord's anointed is before him. I mean, this guy is it. It's clear. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. This system is set up on outward appearance. God could care less. What God cares about is your heart, who you are on the inside, and how you act on the inside. And so what we've been going through is a system to say, are you really a Christian? Do you really believe this Bible? If you do, then we want you to be a person who risks. And we are using risk as an acronym for a way to see the world a way to start living. And the very first one with R is to see yourself as Scripture says. R stands for remember who you are. You are an ambassador of Christ. Do you remember that? 2 Corinthians 5.20 said, you have been sent as an agent of reconciliation on Christ's behalf. You're his ambassador. Here's what that means. is Once I accept Jesus, I am already exalted to the top level. Book of Ephesians. When I get saved, I am positionally in the mind of God sitting at His right hand. Right hand is where the heir, the son of the king, sits. When I accept Christ, I'm an heir. I'm royalty. I'm an ambassador. So... Whether you're at church, whether you are at home, whether you are on a golf course, on your pontoon boat, or whether you are at work, you're an ambassador. That's what we said first week of this risk series. Then if you go down, just like Jesus did, we are to become like Christ. Jesus already was exalted in heaven, and to come to a broken world, he had to condescend. And that's where I comes in. You need to initiate into your world. If you're going to reach your world, they're not going to come to you. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 3, that no man seeks after God. So God had to go to them. So in a way, if we are going to engage the world, if we are going to be like Christ and be his ambassadors, we need to initiate change. And the way we do that, according to 1 John 4, 11, is in the same way that God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How did God love us? He initiated. He initiated. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. And then we condescend even a little more. This is the hardest one. The way we do this is by serving others. That's the practical outworkings. We serve others. Listen to Mark. Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come to sit up here and everybody say, Way well done, Pastor, you're amazing. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom to be crushed. So are you. Last week we talked about that. If you are at home and you're a mom, you're not a dictator over those children. You are a servant to them. That's hard. If you're at work, work hard. Doug's going to talk that a little bit later. When you're at church, we do need people to serve at church. And then in your hobbies, use your hobbies, not a chance just to get away from the world and become an individual. Use your hobby as a way to bless other people, bring joy into their life. That's what we talked about last week. So what this is, it's a series of condemnation. It's not a scale that I'm better. It's actually a way that I come underneath and serve each other. Well, today we go to the bottom row, the bottom step, and it's K. And this is where we all live. We all live in the trenches. And in the trenches, we need to keep going. K is don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, but it's hard. I know. Keep going. But I don't receive any rewards. Nobody slaps me in the back. Keep going. But I've been serving my family for years and they don't recognize it. Keep going. The verse for this is very clear like all the other ones are it's in the book of 1st Corinthians 1558 and it's a call to persevere if you could turn there with me this will be the last verse in our risk series And so if you go to the next slide, it's, it's, I like this image. This is sort of what it's like being a Christian. It's like a carrying a wounded soldier. You just don't let him go. You keep going. You keep going. He's got to keep going. He's got to persevere. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. To a church that is being persecuted. They have, they're having a tough time. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And if you go to the next chapter of 1 Corinthians 16, look at verses 13 and 14. It reiterates what, what is just written. And it's almost more clear than that verse. It says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and then it says act, in the ESV it says act like men. What that means is be mature. What does a real man do? A real man doesn't run under the face of pressure. He sticks in there. Act like men. Be strong. Let all of that you do be done in love. All of it. But this is not easy. That's why the very first thing he says is be steadfast and immovable. This means to stand strong, stay on course, and more than that, live with conviction. If you have conviction, you can stand strong. You are not tossed like the waves. A couple of years ago I did a sermon on Hebrews and I said Hebrews in chapter four, it talks about the people are becoming like pieces of driftwood. When life's great, if you have a piece of driftwood, and I, I grew up on Lake Erie and there'd be driftwood all over the place. When the lake was calm, the driftwood would kind of would flow out and it would just float around out in the middle of the lake. But then when the storms would kick in, the waves would kick up and the driftwood would be gathered and be pushed ashore. And as a pastor, every once in a while, you get driftwood people that enter your life. They call you at 11 o'clock at night because their life's a mess. But then when it's great, you don't hear from them for years. And then when a life's a mess again, you hear from them. They're like a piece of driftwood going in and out. Driftwood is not firm. It's not steadfast. It's always dependent upon the circumstances around it. This is saying stop that. Be a man. Stand firm. Jesus did. One of the most interesting verses is Luke 9.51. It talks about Jesus' mindset about the last year of His life. It said, He was, when the days drew near for Him to be taken up, and He knew exactly what that meant. Taken up to be crucified and murdered. He set His face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to go to the place He knew He'd be murdered. Because He knew that's why He was called. That's why. Do you remember when Peter, he's telling Peter that, uh, you know what, the Son of Man is going to be handed over. He's going to be crucified. And Peter said, no, not you, Lord. He goes, get behind me, Satan. Because he couldn't hear that. He knew what his course was. God has called us to serve people, not to be served. We, our feelings, want us to be served all the time. We have to stand firm and say, no, I'm here to be Christ-like, keep persevering. So not only to be steadfast and immovable, but we are to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. And abounding means giving out more and more. A lot of times, conservative evangelical Baptists see the world as a crisis, that they will only respond when there's a fire. And they let the world happen to them. What Jesus is saying, don't be a responder. Be, take the offense. You affect the world. You change it. My dad would always say this. He, he said it a lot, and I didn't like it because my dad always wanted me to be positive, and I didn't like being positive because I was a teenager. I hated being positive. I ate bad food. I'd eat a lot of Totino's pizzas, and I'd always be negative, you know? And so my dad didn't like it when I was negative, and he'd go, Chris, he'd always say this, you have two choices in life. You can complain about the darkness, or you can light a candle for others to see. And I'd complain again, he'd go, Chris, you can complain about the darkness, or you can light a candle for others to see. And it's true. It's really true. Listen to how Jesus is described in Acts 10.8. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So Jesus was led by the Spirit of God. What typified his manner of living? He went around doing good and healing all. I wish I could heal all. If I could, I'd do that. But I can do good. All who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do you, do you look to bless others? Yeah, I got a terrible job. It's a terrible job. I'm bored to tears. You know how you can bless your boss? Do a great work. Man, I, my kids are always whining. You know how you can do good to your kids? Listen to them, love them, serve them. Always abounding in the work. Why? And here's the last reason. Because your labor, it's not in vain. This is an amazing verse in a sense what this means, underlying is there is there is something the writer wants you to understand. God is watching. And everything you do, he knows. And he will reward you. It's not in vain. There are rewards, and we are to seek those rewards. We are to want those rewards, because what you're doing is not vanity. That means it's not emptiness. It's being stacked up. This past week, I uh, I was speaking at a men's conference, and my last message was on what does Jesus want? What does Jesus want? If I asked you that, what would you think Jesus would want? Some of you would probably say, well, 2 Peter 3 says he wants all men to be saved. He does. But there's something he wants more than that. Did you know that? Go to the book of John, chapter 17. And Eric, you don't need to. You got this sermon already. You're already, you're set. John 17, verse 24. Jesus is getting ready to die. He goes to the Father to pray. And in this verse, you're going to see exactly what Jesus wants. I find this fascinating, to be honest with you. Because it's, um, it's really why He made the world. Verse 24, Father, Father, he's praying to his dad, Father, I desire, this is what I want, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, meaning the disciples, may be with me where I am and to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. He wants two things. He wants friendship and relationship with his disciples forever. And he wants us to see his glory. And that phrase glory is always Haunted me. It's always confused me, actually. It means weightiness. It means beautiful fear. It means heaviness. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians, when it says that when Jesus comes down on the earth again, He's going to come with His powerful angels, and it says He will be marveled at by His saints. So when He comes down, there will be some who will tremble, but there will be others who marvel at Him. And that idea of marvel has we will see Him and we will be like, He's nothing I ever thought He'd be like. I can't believe how amazing He is. But then as I was doing more research on glory, there is one verse in the Bible that kind of tells you how incredible glory is. And it's Romans 8.18 and it's a scale. gives a scale. And Paul writes, I consider... The sufferings that I'm going through right now, so imagine all the sufferings you go to, maybe you have a terrible relationship or pain or financial trouble, that all the sufferings I go through, and you can just imagine wrapping them up in a ball, putting duct tape around all those sufferings. It's a big ball, you lift it up. Ah, boom, you put it on this side of the scale. All these sufferings, and then it says, are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, and that glory is a a reflection of the glory of Christ because we're going to look just like Him. So that's saying all of those sufferings you undergo are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So that means when we finally get to heaven, you put this glory on the scale, and lift it up, once you put it on this side of the scale, your sufferings will go, it's nothing compared to glory. Nothing. The reason I abound in the work of the Lord is all of my labor is going to pay off for me. It's not in vain. It's going to add to my glory. My sufferings are going to add to my glory. I even mentioned this at the men's retreat that in 1 Corinthians 15 at the end, it says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then it says, death will be swallowed up in victory. And the idea is this, if you take death, all those things that destroy your life the victory you're going to receive will swallow up death. So you gotta look at it like this. When I eat a hamburger, three patties on it, dripping cheese, bacon, and I eat that, I swallow that, it adds to my weight a lot. I eat. And you look at my orange pumpkin shirt, I eat a lot of hamburgers. When I eat that burger, it, it, I swallow it, and it adds to my weight. When I take that suffering and heaven swallows it, it is going to add to my glory. My glory will be heavier because I swallowed more suffering. So press on. Look at it like this because some of you are like, I don't like that. Why should I? Because every time I try to live for Christ or I try to share the gospel, I try to be a good Christian. It just seems like it goes nowhere. And the reason you say that is many of you have not really ever cut down a tree with an axe. Have you ever cut down a tree with an axe? It's, Brent, you've cut down a tree with an axe. It's fun, isn't it? A lot of fun. You take an axe and you pick up the axe. Whoom. Ah, pull it out. Whoom. You try to get that wedge first. Whoo, pull it out. Whoom. Oh, 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 man. Oh, 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 nothing's happening. Oh, ah, and then all of a sudden somebody comes up. Tink. You never know when you're at that point where all of your effort will finally topple the thing you've been trying to accomplish for Christ. And it's amazing when it happens. Because because of your faithfulness, all of a sudden you will see stuff. I can't even tell you how many times I've had couples, I've worked with seven, eight, nine years, they just don't get it. It's like I'm beating my head like, is this worth it? And then I see them a couple weeks later, and it's like their faces are glowing, you're like, I get it. Like, what do you get? And they tell me something I told them four years ago. I said, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, and our, our family's doing great. I said, what? because I didn't believe the tree could ever fall. So don't stop chopping, don't stop praying, don't stop serving. Don't stop initiating. And never forget, you've already arrived. So you're not doing it to gain favor, you already have it, because you are his son or daughter who's sitting at his right hand. At this time, I would like to invite up Doug Scott. Doug Scott's an elder of our church. He's a great teacher. But I've invited him up to kind of bring practicality to this whole risk series, to flesh it out and give us some workable ways we can be risk takers. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Here's you your book. Sure. I have my water. You can have your water. If you notice, I'm a rebel
1: by nature, I don't have any orange on. Um, Some people know that, Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about what is going on here at KCBC, especially when it comes to faith and works. Um, As many of you have known that the uh, three of us, uh, Ken, Chris, and myself have been part of this, um, if you want to call it, we call it, I'll give you the big name for it here, the Vocational Infusion Learning Community. And it's like, wh- when I first read that, I'm like, first of all, I don't even know what half of that meant. But as we joined it, it's, a, it's an interesting process that we have been through, and it's really about what is faith in works. You know, as Chris was talking about the old Baptist church, I was raised in one of those Baptist churches. And it's not a bad thing in, it, in, 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 in the Big Rapper. I'm, I'm not saying that it was a bad thing. But there were some things that were implied that left some scars in me that I really didn't see until later in life. So if you could open up your Bibles, I want to take a look at Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24. And the reason I want to look at this is because when I was going to that Baptist church, the teaching in which I had on that differ a little more now than how I understand it. And and, and like I said, it's it's interesting as you read it. So let's take a look at at the scripture, and it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And why I said it's a little different than what I originally remember was is that there was a lot of emphasis put on that, that if my work that I was doing day to day did not evangelize or bring somebody to Christ, it was going to be worth nothing when I got to heaven. Nothing. Because what they were teaching, and they weren't saying it with words, but they were saying it with other things, was that sacred work, that is those of pastors and missionaries, are different and held higher than those who are doing secular work, such as plumber, pipe fitter, teacher, whatever that may be. There There was a difference. When you are raised in that, it really starts to really wear on you when you get ready to enter the workforce. And I can remember being at our church when I was getting ready to graduate. And in my little graduating class that stood up here like we usually do, they passed the microphone, and I can remember a couple friends of mine, and they said, hey, what are you planning to do? I'm going to Moody Bible School to be a youth pastor. Pastor to the next kid, he's going to go on and be a missionary. They passed it to me and they said, what do you plan to do? I plan to enter into a trade school apprenticeship and go into fire protection like my dad. Cricket, cricket, cricket. My mother couldn't be more prouder. But my problem was is I really kind of believed that this is not really a good thing. But here's the problem. When I read this verse and I continue to read this verse over and over now, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not to men. How can I do that? Because I figured it out that Christ gave me the tools to do what I do. And I'm proud of what I do because I'm doing it for his glory, not mine. And the thing is, I'm in my sweet spot. I am one of those guys that I hate to say it, but I enjoy to go to work. And I know that sounds bad, but I really enjoy my work. Um, I have the special opportunity. We own a fire protection company out of Cedar Springs. We actually did the sprinklers here for this building. And I love my job. The thing is, is over time, as I have figured it out, that the job is not about my glory, but his. And I do my job as a worship to Christ. But as we were going through this this thing, this this meeting of all these different churches in all these different cities, and we're going to wrap that up this week, uh, so pray for us. We're going to be in California. The the elders and and Chris and Ken and I, we said, let's just go with open hearts, open minds, and see if the spirit will move us. Is there something there that we can glean for Kent City Baptist Church and bring it back and say, let's take a look? Because maybe I'm not the only guy that has felt that, and maybe I'm not the only guy that's still carrying that. You know, my wife, Sue, is an incredible person, and, and she worked hard to become a nurse. And she was an incredible nurse. But then God was tapping on her heart to stay at home as we raised little ones. Hard to imagine, but Declan at one time was a little one. <laughs> He's now there, but he was down there. And you know, we made a really conscious decision that it was time. God was asking her to stay home for, the, for this phase of our life, if you would, to raise kids. But I got to tell you what, she struggled with that. Because society had put a lot of things on her, and even our own church that, wow, being a nurse is very noble. Boy, you stay at home mom? Boy, I got to tell you, that was a struggle for us. But as we work through it, so what we decided was we think that there's more people that have this. So the question is when we bring up those verses, have you ever, have you ever thought of that? Have you ever really thought or felt like when somebody says, hey, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm an excavator. You know, are you, are you, are you there? So what we're going to do is we've decided based on this risk series that, that Chris has brought to us, we are going to take and we are going to implement a new program, and I hate the word program, but we are going to call it a program for now. Um, What we are going to do is we are going to take and form risk groups. And what they will be is that people of similar vocation, what we are going to do is through the elders, we are going to take and, and pick select leaders in those areas They will then pray through and invite people to their groups that are similar in vocation. And and the thing is, is who are we going to target? Well, we're looking for vocational people that are working and seeking Christ, and how do you glorify Christ at that job? Because some people look and say, how am I ever going to glorify Christ at my job? This is what I do for a living. Well, Christ has put you there. Maybe just for the time being, but he's put you there. So the thing is, is what is going to be our goal? We want you to get a firm understanding of Christ honoring vocational work at the ability to apply this risk every single day that you are at the workplace. We want to take and try to remove, if there is one, that you have been taught, the divide between sacred and secular. We want to get that divide out of there. We want you to think of yourself that you are not on the bottom and everybody else is up here on the stage. Some of the ways that these leaders are going to do, what we're going to do is we're going to try to have these only meet quarterly. And these groups will meet by themselves. And then we are going to take, and at the end of next year, we will take and put together a retreat, um, whether it's here in this building or another building, and we are going to try to pool together, break off into some sessions, and really see what was learned. Where did you grow in Christ in that? Um, was there stuff that Christ had worked you through? Now, the vocational areas of are groups. Um, right now, we have basically picked out about eight of those. Stay-at-home moms and or dads. Um, education, customer service, which would entail like the retail, food service, lawn care, anything to do with customer service jobs. Construction, that's one when you mumble a lot under your breath when somebody says, what do you do for a living? I'm in construction. Um, manufacturing, we deal with a lot of people here that are in manufacturing jobs. And I, I've talked to a lot of guys uh, and manufacturing that really question if that's even God-honoring. Upper management and owners, um, medical and financial. Um, and there's probably a couple of others uh, we're kicking around whether or not to even have a group of retirees, or whether to take those retirees that have retired from that vocation and maybe put them back in their old vocational group just to talk about those transitions. So those are the things in which we're going to do. How are we going to know if we're doing anything with it? Uh, my wife and I are going to be, monitoring through the leaders um, and through the people that are in the groups. We're going to be doing a lot of different questioning and and things throughout the year to see if we're growing in those areas and if there's any impact that's being made. And then we're going to report that back to the elders every month. And um, there's one thing, if you can put up the books, there are three books that I recommend. If you are at all struggling in any one of these areas, there's three books in which I have read. Um, The first book if you take a look is called Kingdom Calling and this is by Amy Sherman who is really um, leading this whole group thing that we have been part of. It's an incredible book. Um, She does a nice job with the book. If you like large words and need a dictionary next to you, pick that book. I love Amy to pieces but she loves to I think defeat everybody at Scrabble and we haven't even called a game of Scrabble. Um, So she really likes large words, and and I looked up a lot of words as I read that book. The other one is actually by Tom Nelson. He's a pastor. He's out in um, Kansas City, Missouri. Great guy, very down to earth, but his book is written more of um, layers, like laying a brick layer and continuing on. Does a great job with it. Um, Maybe not as, um, how do I put it? There's a few chapters in there, you just got to persevere through the chapters. This other book that I just finished is on Futureville by Sky Jathani. If you have read the book With, this guy has an incredible talent for writing, and he uses a lot of examples of stories in people's lives, including his own. That book, Futureville, to me, out of the three, I related the best to that. Um, But you are more than welcome, like I said, to start that the Work Matters ones we've already had, the deacons um, have already read that. And we're going to take a look at each group, possibly picking their own book and, and, and going through that and using it as a springboard for the discussion. So, But it is something if you want to do, um, it is interesting. As I leave you today, um, Chris has really challenged us. And I really think that you need to really search your heart today. And the question really comes down to this. Do you think that what you do matters to God? If you have any hesitation on that answer, I really think you need to really start searching. And it can start right with scriptures and, and work your way into one of these books and see if we can get you into a group. Because as you work through it, it will free you up. That you can honestly, when somebody says, what do you do for a living? I am a janitor, and I love it. And it's OK, because God is a yeah, it was interesting, we were talking about um, earlier, when I was in the middle school, um, Lauren Dudley happened to be a janitor over here in our middle school. And Lauren Dudley wore the uniform, if you remember the old gray uniform, and he, and he had a 55-gallon drum, and it had this huge bag, in it, and he had wheels on it. And I gotta be honest with you, kids are not very nice from sixth grade through the eighth grade, especially to people such as Lauren Dudley. And I remember talking to him a little bit over there because I knew him through church and I was always afraid of Lauren, I'll be honest with you. He, he was in Awana and I was afraid, to, afraid of him a little bit. As I got older and I was talking to him and we were talking about his job and I said, you know, Lauren, I said, uh, you're, you're a janitor. Does that bother you that you're a janitor? And he said, no, Doug, it doesn't bother me. He says, I am honored to be that janitor for God. And, and, you know, when you're a sophomore and a junior and somebody tells you something like that, you're like, I'm going to file that one away in the cabinet because right now, I just want to, you know, talk about going to the football game. But I think later I'll probably pull that out of the file cabinet. It was funny as we were going through this thing, we were out in Kansas City and, and uh, there was this guy and he was talking and um, that came back to me. I pulled that out of the old file cabinet and like, I remember that. And it really sticks with me. And it's like, you know, he didn't say it with his head down that I'm a janitor. He looked you right in the face and said, I'm a janitor. I'm a janitor for God. And I think that's the perspective we need to look at. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just bow before you. We thank you so much, Lord, for this uh, incredible family. Um, We thank you that we can be part of it. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Chris and his challenge um, with us in this risk series here the last four weeks. And Lord, I pray that people that maybe they've never really thought about it, but today that they would chew through it with you and Is there any of that old school stuff lingering with them? Do they think that we are in tears? Or do they see us all seated at your right hand? Are we all really there? And do they see their work as important to you, that you have given them a skill set? And maybe if it's just for the season of this life, you have put them in a certain job, and a certain position, for your glory, not for theirs. Lord, I pray that we would wrestle with it. I pray we don't just blow it off. I pray that we wrestle with it. I pray that if there is some of the old wounds that they would take it to you and bring it to you and get healing. Lord, I pray that when we get up tomorrow for work that we have a new attitude that, you know what? It's a dark world. I pray that we light a candle and I pray that that candle would shine. Lord, we just love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.